You are listening to the podcast When Life Gives You Lemons, presented by me, Emma Levy. Having worked with elite athletes for most of my career, it's always intrigued me that a significant number of high-performing individuals have encountered some form of adversity earlier in their lifetime. My fascination into this grew when I had my own brush with adversity, when I was diagnosed with breast cancer in May 2020, in the midst of the global pandemic at the age of only 36. During this period, I questioned whether it was my positive mindset or maybe something deeper, which enabled me to bounce back and to train and compete for a triathlon just one month following completion of all active cancer treatment. The goal of this podcast is to explore this concept further by meeting a variety of high-performing individuals who have experienced adversity, but who have come back stronger. Today, I'm welcoming Brooke Kinsella to the podcast. You may recognise Brooke's name from her days as an actress, where she played Kelly in EastEnders for a number of years. However, she is more recently well-known and respected for her work campaigning against knife crime, following the brutal murder of her brother Ben, when he was stabbed in an unprovoked attack on the streets of London in 2008, aged just 16. Ben had just been out with some friends celebrating the end of his GCSEs, and he never got the chance to go home. Brooke has now been awarded an MBE for her work to prevent knife crime, and she has set up a charity, the Ben Kinsella Trust. Alongside her campaigning, she works as a talent agent, and I'm so pleased that Brooke has agreed to chat to us today. Brooke, thank you so much for coming and talk to us today. I know that you must be so busy having kind of just come off maternity leave. Um, I just want to start with saying that in preparation for today, I, I actually read your book, which you published in 2009 following Ben's death. And I, I was really, really moved by it. And I'm, I'm so sorry for your and your family's loss. And so many things moved me in my research for this chat, but especially when you refer to the fact that you didn't lose Ben, but that he was stolen through knife crime. And when one hears about someone being stabbed, they perhaps make assumptions that that person was embroiled in gangs or ill behaviour of some sort. But that wasn't Ben's story, was it? So would you be happy to tell us his story? Yes, of course. Thank you for having me for, for, for a start. Um, absolutely. And I, I was one of those people. I mean, I was only 25 at the time, but knife crime had been on the rise for a while and 2008 was the worst year for it and we had a spate of young lives being stolen before Ben there was Robert Knox there was Jimmy Mizzen and I just remember vividly reading the news and 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 seeing it on the tv and thinking oh that's terrible and and just getting on with my day because you just think that's not going to happen to me and then it does and the, the very short answer of Ben's story is he, he literally went out one night and never came home again. And even seven weeks of a court case gave us absolutely no answers at all. And there would there would never be a reason that someone can tell you that, that makes it okay, of course. But he was just in the wrong time at the wrong place. That that was it. And it it's it's just always felt like such a horrific waste of of life not just ben but ours and the three men that killed him and their families and and just the ripple effect of of that moment of madness and that night you know is 
it's really hard to put into words, but it's it's just devastating. And we are 15 years on now. It's the 15 year anniversary this year, which is, wow. you know, it's it's you can't quite comprehend that you haven't seen somebody for that long. That you know, it's been that long because it feels like yesterday in some in some respects. Um, we're sadly no better off in society. It breaks my heart. This year is is the worst on record for knife crime since wow. Ben's year, which is just you know all of the work that we've done. You do think, oh, what's what's been the point? Um, yeah. But yeah, Ben. He was he was sixteen. He just finished his GCSEs. He went out with a group of friends to celebrate that uh, a fight happened that he had absolutely nothing to do with. All of the the kids were sent out of the the bar that they were in and these three boys men just wanted some kind of revenge and sadly ben was the one that they caught and uh we heard in the court case that they stabbed him 11 times in just five seconds which was just yeah numbers that i can't ever get out of my mind um that was it that, that was literally it. Yeah, devastating. And I, I was so warmed by the credit that you gave to Ben in starting you on your campaigning trail. Um, from what you found in his room to the fact that when you started talking at, I think it was the first March after his death, you didn't plan to talk, but suddenly you found these words come to you and you gave credit to Ben. Can you tell us a bit more about, about that? In, in the weeks after losing Ben, uh, I mean, he would have been absolutely furious at us. We were... <laughs> we were rummaging through his room just when you know there's not going to be any more new memories just trying to find anything i guess um to to cling on to and we found his english coursework books and in there were two things that we found the first was an essay that he'd written um in which he basically had a premonition about his death it's the most heartbreaking but beautiful essay because he starts off telling this story about himself and how he is killed and he references every single injury that he actually received in real life um but the essay ends with ben going to heaven and talking about what heaven is for him and how he is at peace with members of his family and and it it brought us so much comfort as a family it was very hard to read but it was just, you know, for a 16-year-old boy to have written and used the emotion he did and the and the the language that he did, it was, I, I didn't know he could do that. It was absolutely incredible. It was a beautiful story. You know, yeah. reading it, I was like, wow, this kid was 16. Um, yeah. But the fact that the story mirrored his own death and even where he named where the stab wounds were, I mean, what, what do you make of that? Do you think that was a premonition or...? It's, I am... Um... I am, I was, I'm not sure, big believer in signs and I'm I'm religious and an afterlife. It's, it can be hard to believe in these things when such terrible things happen to you. Um, you can be cynical about these things, uh, but for us, it was just spine chilling, It you know, because he literally did reference every wound he received. And it was something that he'd done quite a bit before because we actually spoke to his teacher about it to say what was this what had happened um and basically just literally the 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 brief they got was to write a story about your death and obviously there was 30 kids in his class and they all wrote funny stories or weird stories or crazy stories and then ben wrote this story which was just so emotional 
so true to what happened to him. Um, yeah, so it, it, we could only think of it as being a sign, I guess. Um, and and it was heartbreaking the first half and then the second half. And I cling on to that now to think he is in that place that he's written about so beautifully. Yeah. Um, and then secondly, we found he had written a letter to the Prime Minister at the time, who was Gordon Brown, mm-hmm. to talk about how concerned he was about youth violence. And he referenced young people who have been killed for no reason. And at that point we were going to be hosting the Olympics in a few years time. And he said, who's going to want to come over here to this country if they're not safe. And it was so intelligent and so grown up and so concerned. And and again, I, I felt almost ashamed because I was like, I was 25 and just getting on with life and not even thinking about these things. And then to think that my, my baby brother was worried. He was worried for, teenagers at that time um really shocked me and upset me um and it was those two things that that kind of started us on the campaign if you like because ben wanted to make a change he he wrote to gordon brown you know change has to happen and it it just made us think okay he really wanted to do this and he can't now so can we do it for him and that's kind of how how everything started but Absolutely. I mean, I, I was 25. I had, I was an actress, so I was used to performing, if you like, but as characters, not as me, not as Brooke. And actually, the reason I got into acting is because I was so shy and nervous as, as a young kid that my mum sent me to this acting school to try and give me a bit of confidence. Um, and it worked to an extent, and I'm, I'm, I was fine if I was playing somebody else, but to be me was, was almost my worst fear. And so to stand up at, at that very first march... And have to talk to you know all the news cameras and, and the hundreds of people was absolutely petrifying, and I didn't want to do it, but I I did, and I I have always said it just wasn't my voice that came out that day. It, it was Ben's, and it's always been Ben's voice that that guides us. Yeah. So he wanted safer streets, and now you're able to kind of see his his desire and his dream through, which which is remarkable. Um, you threw yourself into the campaigning trail quite early on, didn't you? Do you think you gave yourself early on time to grieve? No, is the answer. (laughs) And I have had a lot of heartbroken families message me over the years, too many uh, for me. And (laughs) excuse me, they always, they always say, you know, we want to do something. We have to do something in memory of our loved one. We want to make a change. How do we do it? How did you do it? And it's actually, those early days are are almost a blur. I was, lucky is the wrong word. Um, I had had a profile because of EastEnders and because of being an actress, which which did give me that uh, platform to to be able to speak out, which helped massively. But the one piece of advice I do always try and give people is, I know that you, you you want to keep busy, you want to do something to help, you want to do something selfishly, you know, so that your loved ones aren't forgotten for them. But please try and give yourself that time because I didn't. And I was really young and it does come back and get you at some point. Um, you can put it off and put it off as long as you want, but it will it will creep up on you. I wouldn't have changed it. I wouldn't have changed what I did because it just, it all happened how I think it was supposed to happen. But now I'm 40 this year and I'm a mum and I've got kids and I, I do think... I have never probably let myself process what happened properly. Yeah. And that worries me sometimes. Yeah. Still to this date, you haven't 
processed it, worked through stuff? I don't think so. I think I think I've always been too scared. I mean, I've definitely had my bad days and my dark days, mm. my moments, and having my kids, which was one of the the most incredible things that has ever happened to me. Especially my my son Ben, who was born on Ben's anniversary last wow. year, which is just you know you 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 couldn't you really couldn't write it. Wow. Um, although that was wonderful, it brought a whole new level of grief because as a sister, that you know I wouldn't wish that pain on anybody. As a mum, all I could think about was what my parents went through losing a child, and that that just opened up a lot of things and feelings but you don't really have time to think about those when you're a new mum in the middle of lockdown um so I'm not sure I've I've thought any of that through properly just yet but just conscious that it's it's there yeah and where are you at in terms of um I think I heard you say somewhere fear of bringing children into this world where you know the streets are quite dangerous yes well I have them now I think it was probably a quote that was a bit taken out of context. Um, it never, it never stopped me wanting children because it's all I've ever really wanted is is children. I'm a sister to, I mean, I'm one of six, blended, wow. um, a big sister to three, yeah. uh, and and I, it's just always been in me that maternal drive. Um, but it, it, it's it's scary. And when I had Elsie, my my daughter, it wasn't so much of a concern. When I had Ben last year. It was, it, it just was. Um, and it's, you know, girls are getting caught up in that world and that life more and more. It's not just a boy thing. It's not just an anything really, um, as, as we said at the beginning, but it does it does just make, you can't wrap your kids in cotton wool. It's not fair on them. They've got to experience life, but I just do have all of these worries now. And, and also I just, you know, I've got, you start counting down this really awful clock where, Elsie's nearly three and Ben was 16 and I think oh my god in literally 13 years time that's when we lost Ben and and Elsie's a baby and he was really still a baby and it's just you start doing this really odd horrible maths that your brain goes to a horrible place yeah I mean but you know as a parent myself having not been through something like that I'm I'm also scared for my kids you know because I remember as a kid how how invincible you feel don't you when you're age kind of 14 to 16 walking around on the streets feeling like nothing can get you but actually you know in London as we know any anyone is at risk really and it is it is is scary as a parent um, can we talk about your your campaigning? Um, I saw on your the Ben Kinsella Trust website, um, I think it was a statement that you put out saying, prevention is almost certainly better than cure and early intervention is vital. Heartbreakingly, experts say children are now most at risk while walking home from school and school is where we must begin. Firstly, you know, that that worried me. <laughs> Experts say children are now most at risk while walking home from school. Again, that's where we all feel that our kids are safe, potentially walking home from school in daylight. Um, so what what does your campaigning work involve at the moment? Absolutely. For us, it has always been about prevention. And again, I'm asked the question over and over again, what's the answer? What do we need to do? There isn't one magic answer. It would be easier to solve if there if there were um there are so many different layers to this but but for us it's always been about getting in there before something becomes a problem and if you think about it you know with with young people we have you know 
drug education and sex education and and drink driving education and, and road safety and all of these things to just teach them about dangers in life and we do come up against it with some schools because they don't want to acknowledge or feel like there's a problem. Um, again, I think maybe because there's this perception that knife crime is very specific to areas or lifestyle. Um, and that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is don't let it become a problem. Don't let it be that there are kids carrying knives into school before you teach them that that's not okay. Um, what we want is, you know, we've had 25,000 young people through the doors of our exhibition hearing Ben's story and we want to get to them so that if ever in the future and pretty much most of them all of them are just normal kids who would never think about picking up a knife and I, I really pray to God that they don't ever encounter a situation where they might or a friend might but when they do I hope that they can think back to the day they came into us and heard Ben's story and heard what it did not just to Ben and his family but to the men who 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 carried the knife and performed that act and think that that's not worth it. The consequences of that are not worth it. And so for us, that's what prevention is. Um, and that's what we think is so important. And so the campaigning work that you've done in the last 15 years, do you think it's made a positive difference? I know you said the stats aren't good, but do you have any evidence of, of what it's doing? Absolutely. We, we do, uh, like an impact survey. We, we, when the kids come in at the very start of our of our exhibition and our workshop, we we do almost like a survey to to try and understand what experience they've had of knife crime, what their thoughts and feelings are. And I think again, a lot of the, you know, I'd like to think that my my children will not even be aware of anything like that until they are you know of a certain age. But we are finding more and more eight, nine, ten year olds. They're absolutely aware that this is going on, and it's that fear as well that drives them to make the wrong choice um you know they they hear about it their friends talk about it they think the world's a scary place that everybody's carrying knives i better carry a knife or it's the cool thing to do and so i think the first thing to say is that actually you know young people are a lot more aware a lot younger than than we would think or like and they are of that world you know we almost learn from them we're a young person's charity they they can tell us what's happening out there so we do ask them at the beginning and they answer lots of questions and we will sometimes get you know i i know someone who's carried a knife or yes i, I would carry a knife to protect myself um why wouldn't i do that and then they go through the exhibition and at the end of it we ask the same questions and I want to say 99.9% of children pledged to never carry a knife, even if they said they would at the beginning. Amazing. And look, that's a small thing. Yeah. You might say, well, how do you follow that through if they are ever put in that position? But I will take that small win at that yeah. point to have changed their mindset in two hours. Yeah. Um, and then we ask them to leave comments and, you know, the things that we get back, the feedback we get from these, you know, eight to 16-year-olds is just so thoughtful so intelligent that you can see that it's made some kind of difference um and we are now we're not just in london we're we're in nottingham you know ideally ideally what i want is a day where we don't exist that you know that i don't want the banking center trust to exist i don't want to have to do this work because then we will have won this battle we know we're near that yet sadly but but what we are trying to do is is you know we are a, a, a national charity but to set up exhibitions and workshops across the country to get as many young because it's definitely not just a london problem sadly um to get as many young people to hear Ben's story as we can yeah are you proud of what you've achieved regarding the campaigning 
I am proud. I'm proud of Ben. Um, you know, for a 16-year-old boy, he had such a short life. And the messages I get 15 years on from across the world, really, are just incredible. The impact he has made. I'm so proud of him. Um, I'm proud of my family because it's really easy to just not get out of bed again. To, you know, to just not to to be angry and bitter and we've definitely had those days but to all we wanted to do was to stop this happening to somebody else's brother and son that that's all we set out to do that's that's our number one uh goal in in all of this and we haven't been able to do that sadly but but we can only try and so you know i am i'm i am very proud i go in and see the exhibition i went in a couple of weeks ago and i always worry i say to my team oh is it because a lot of the footage we filmed interviews with the family are, are from 15 years ago and so I wonder are they relevant do they have the same impact 15 years on and I'm told time and again they absolutely do um so yeah I'm pr I, I am proud um I, I would give anything for it to have not happen of so. course I, I don't think you said that you're proud of yourself there I think you said you're proud of uh -huh. Ben you're proud of your family and I might be yeah. wrong but I think you've put a lot of work into this over the last 15 years are you proud of what you've done? Yes, yes, I am actually. Yeah, I, and I think I can look at my children and say I tried to make the world a bit safer. Um, yeah, I can at least say that. Yeah, I think it's amazing what you've done in the last fifteen years. Um, where Where do you sit now with the whole punishment versus rehabilitation um, of people that commit knife crime? Again, I think it absolutely has to be both. I've I've done a, a lot of work on this over the years. I did a documentary about restorative justice where I learned so much. Um, I wasn't even aware of restorative justice. It wasn't for me at the time. Yeah, I'm still not sure I'm in a place where it would be for me. Can, um, you, can you explain what that is, restorative justice? Uh, so restorative justice, it's, it's where you basically, victims and offenders sit opposite each other doesn't, I guess, necessarily have to be the person who they committed the crime against, but, you know, somebody similar to, for victims to explain the impact of this is what, this is what you did to me, this is what you took from me. And, it, you know, it can be from absolutely everything from, from burglary to sexual offences mm -hmm. to murder. Um, you know, I think victims, whether, whether your house is burgled, whether you are physically or sexually assaulted, you you lose some kind of control you know you don't feel safe in your house which is your safe haven you don't feel safe in yourself um which is awful really because the the repercussions of that can will last forever and i think it's almost a little bit of taking back control you know and sitting opposite somebody and saying to them this is what you did i guess having your say we have never ever my mum wrote uh, a, 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 a heartbreaking uh, victim impact statement that was read out at court. But that's it. That's all we ever got to say to the three men that absolutely destroyed our lives. Yeah. Um, and I'm asked, would you, you know, would you want to go in and, and still not right now, because there's just still nothing that they can say to me or I can say to them that, that will take any pain away. But for other people, that might be different. They might want to ask questions. They might want to just have their say um so that's the crux of restorative justice so you know in terms of rehabilitation there's there's there are lots of things out there that i think is important you know 
locking somebody up, but having justice, I think, rather than punishment is the word that I would use. Having that justice for families and for victims is really important. Yeah. Of course, you know, uh, having punishment for, for society is important, but if they just come out, whatever the crime is and however long the sentence is, not thinking about their, the consequences of their choices, nobody is better off. Yeah. Do you, do you think our prisons do well enough with rehabilitation at the moment? Do you know, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know where we're at right now. I've I've been away and, and been in a mum bubble for the last couple <laughs> of years. Um, so so right now, I, I probably wouldn't be able to give a, a a truthful enough answer. I mean, I'd hope so, but I fear not. Yeah, because I don't know where the stats are with reoffending. So I I don't. I suppose that's how yeah. you can judge that objectively. I suppose, and I, yeah, I don't know the answer. Have so the three men that murdered Ben are still in prison? Yes, they are still there. Uh, we get like a a letter once a year that tell us they're still in prison. That's about it, really. That's all we know, and we we have an idea of when they will be coming out, which, in the grand scheme of things, isn't very far away, to be honest. Um, which again just uh, brings a whole level of thinking about. Yeah. that when it happens and dealing with that and yeah that will be tough yeah where have you got to with have you done any work on forgiveness i think probably ignorance is what i focused on the last few years um as i said to be a mum when you're a mum you you kind of you don't really have time for anything else yeah. um which in some ways is good just keeping busy keeping distracted um yeah but I think actually in the next few years when we know they will be coming out. And again, I guess this is where rehabilitation comes into it. It would be really good to know who are they now? What what we have never heard anything from them. I don't know if they are completely changed from the people they were 15 years ago. And, you know, they were men. They were legally men at the time. It's not like they were very young boys who made a terrible mistake. They did make a terrible mistake, um, but they were old enough to definitely know better um I, I don't know you know if I ever get a letter that says I'm so very sorry for what I did to you and your family I don't know how that will make me feel yeah I guess I'd want that than to not have it to know that they are sorry mm. but yeah it's hard to forgive someone when you don't quite know yeah if they deserve it yet. yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm sure I've just heard people say in other traumatic scenarios that often um forgiveness has helped them heal Yes. And I think that's important. I think everybody's different. I, I, I know families, I've worked with families who, who are absolutely in that place and and it has really helped them. And, it, you know, clinging on to anger and grief is, it, it isn't good for anybody, really. Um, but I guess everybody is, is very different in exactly. how they deal with yeah. it. You've got to do what's right for you at the end of the day, don't you? Um, let's step away from the, um, the the knife crime stuff. Um, congratulations on being a new mum. You have a very little one somewhere downstairs in your house. <laughs> um, but so that's two children now, I believe. How are you finding being a mum of two? Oh my goodness! Yeah, it's been a busy couple of years. It's, I mean, look, it's it's incredible. Is it? They were very much wanted. We tried very hard for them for for a while. Um, so so yes, I I try not to have the days where I moan too much, but it's hard, isn't it? It's, you know, they, um, yeah, they come with all of their, <laughs> their challenges. Um, I had my first baby in lockdown, which was just, um, 
a double-edged sword really is you know there were some lovely things about it because I, I could just be at home and look after myself and you know my husband was at home so he got to spend more time with Elsie than he probably would have but then on the flip side of that you know going to all the appointments by myself and especially when it's your first one and and there were some kind of worries and things and having to go through that and not being able to introduce her to family and or for them to spend much time so so there was a kind of it was it, it was not the experience I ever thought I would have, but again, I wouldn't change it because it was our experience. But yeah, they they give me something to live for, I guess, to get up every day. Um, and now I know, you know, why why my mum and dad are still here. I guess because I think you always think as a parent, if something like this ever happened to you, you just you you just couldn't carry on. But when you've got kids, you have to. There's there's no choice, really. Yeah, it just adds an extra layer onto everything, doesn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> and you've stepped away from the acting world and you're now a talent agent. Um, yeah. Do you do you miss acting at all? No. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, no, it's... I feel like it's kind of a natural... A, a natural path to follow. I, I I opened a children's drama school, which I had for 12 years up until COVID hit and I had to shut it down. And then I had the babies and, and I just was never able to pick it up again. Um, I love, I love young people. I love being on a journey with them. I love watching them grow into the wonderful little things they are. And so it started from there because the kids were, they were some were really talented and they were getting auditions and I didn't really know what I was doing. And I was like, Oh, I better learn how to be a bit of an agent to help them. And then I realized, Oh, I quite like this side of it. Um, and I've never looked back really eight years on and no, I don't, it's a really unstable business <laughs> acting. I wouldn't want my kids to go into it. Um, I did it since I was from seven to 35, I was really lucky. I had I did some brilliant jobs. I met some incredible people. But I think now at this time in my life, um, what I enjoy more is picking up the phone and changing somebody's life, which I actually get to do quite a lot. Um, just making that one call, telling them they've got the most incredible job is is brilliant. So, yeah, I much prefer this side of it. Nice. So you don't think you'll ever return to the acting world? I don't think so. Although I say that I've got a, a very good friend of mine who's a director who was actually directing me in a play that I was in the night Ben died. We had just, it was the opening night uh, of this play, the night Ben died and we've stayed friends ever since. And he has almost convinced me to mark the 15 year anniversary this year with, with a one woman show. Oh, wow. And I say it out loud now and I'm yeah. going, what are you doing? That's ridiculous. <laughs> Don't be so silly. Um, actually around Ben's essay, using that essay oh, we spoke okay. about to turn it into a piece of theatre. Um, so there could be a one night okay. only return. Oh, I look forward to it. That sounds yeah, excellent. That. I mean, I still do a lot of public speaking and, and motivational speaking and that kind of thing because I think it's important but yeah in terms of acting I don't think I'll be back on Albert Square anytime <laughs> yeah, soon. Yeah exactly. Um, at this stage in the podcast I like to talk to my guests about about their grit and their resilience and how they've been able to overcome their hard times. Um, so again in your book which you know was a long time ago you wrote it 15 years ago you wrote it about an experience of going to a boot camp and how that boot camp did make you feel stronger um, I think you said, you know, you didn't want to just give up anymore and you were able to just keep on running. And that to me was describing resilience training. Um, so where do you feel you are now regarding your strength and resilience? 
I think I'm 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 40 this year and it's obviously it's a big year for me in in many ways um so you kind of look back and and look forward um I'd like to think I'm a pretty strong person I mean I I'm I'm ridiculously sensitive I I I cry at absolutely anything um a, a Disney film or if my husband says something that annoys me um so I'm I'm you know I'm not I'm not a I'm not a tough cookie in that sense, but I think deep down I've, I've dealt with the worst that life can throw at you. Um, I've, I've had friends that have dealt with things that are just as bad. Um, and so every time this happens to you, you kind of think I'm not going to be able to get back up again. And then you do. Um, I think life just, it toughens you up, doesn't it? So, yeah, I think, I think for someone so small, I'm five, five foot one and a half. I say that I'm not, I'm, I'm four twelve. Um, I'm always <laughs> added in that extra inch. Um, yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm pretty tough. I think life has made me be. Yeah. So do you think you have become more resilient following the devastating tragedy of what happened to Ben? Definitely. I've, I've had to be really, you, you, you need to find something in you to just get up and face the day. Um, I always do wonder what, who I would have been, I guess, if this hadn't have happened to me. Um, I think I always, I, I always grew up pretty quickly. I was always kind of an old head on young shoulders anyway, but yeah, absolutely. This, what happened to me and my family, you know, really toughened you up and I've had losses since um that each time it happens of course you're sad you know of course it's heartbreaking but there's just it's almost like your heart can't really break any more than it did so um so I think I'm definitely there's kind of like a shells around me and around the heart now yeah um final question if you could go back in time to when things were their toughest what do you wish you could have told yourself at that time? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I think just to let 25-year-old Brooke know that there will be a day where it won't be okay, but it will be better. Because I think when you are consumed by grief, and I had some, you know, really sad dark moments where I just thought I don't want to be here anymore and I'm really glad that I didn't listen to those thoughts because now you know I have two children and a lovely husband and a a life that I'm happy with but you can't really see the wood through the trees at that point you don't think it's ever ever you're you don't think you're ever going to have a happy day again and and I remember thinking that and I also remember the first time that I did laugh or ate some food feeling so guilty like feeling so angry at myself for living i guess um and i would tell that tell brooke 20 at age 25 that that's all right and that's actually what you want and there will be a time where you will laugh and not feel full of guilt yeah that's really good advice thanks brooke and where can people find you and more information about the ben kinsella trust if they want to know more 
So you can find out everything about Ben's story, about our work at benkinsella.org.uk. Um, we've also got lots of resources on there for teachers, for parents, free resources. If you want to have conversations with young people around knife crime and the choices and consequences, you'll find lots of, of invaluable advice on our website. That's great. Thanks. And I'll put that website on the show notes as well if anyone wants to check it out. Um, Brooke, thank you so much for coming to talk to us today. Um, like I said at the start of the conversation, I, I was honestly so moved by your story. Uh, meeting you today has confirmed what an extraordinary woman you are, and I really think you should be proud of yourself and of the work that you've done into knife crime. Um, you know, to go through the absolute heartbreak of having your brother stolen from you so young and to go on to find a purpose and to achieve what you have through your campaigning um is is remarkable so thank you for sharing your story with us i'm sure people will listen and be inspired by what can it be achieved following such a tragic event so thank you and i look forward to seeing your one woman show (laughs) (laughs) no i've got to do it now i've said it out loud haven't i absolutely and i'm definitely coming (laughs) thank you so much thank Thank you you, thank you If you enjoyed today's episode, please do remember to rate, review and subscribe and tune in next week when there'll be another great episode for you. We're so excited that the first series of When Life Gives You Lemons is sponsored by Coe's Linen. Coe's supply some of the UK's finest hotels with luxury linens, including bedding, towels and bathrobes. So if you want to feel like you're on holiday or a spa break every day, then I can highly recommend their products. I really love my personalised bathrobe. You know that feeling when you've had a long day at work or a really hard workout. That's when all I want is to have a hot bath, dry myself in my fluffy Coase towel and then relax on the sofa. And that is when you'll find me in my Coase bathrobe. Honestly, the most cosy item I've ever owned. All products can be personalised with custom monograms designed by leading interior designer Sophie Patterson. You can find them exclusively online at www.coeslinen.com. Listeners to When Life Gives You Lemons can save 10% with the discount code POD10. You can find a link in the show notes.